Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Breakfast Pod. I'm your host Steve, joined as always by my developer co-host Blue. How you doing, Blue? We were off for a week, and then news happened. What are we gonna yeah. do? So much news to cover. Yeah, we were off last week due to uh, work got in the way, so sorry about that. But we are back with a vengeance this week, and we're just going to get straight into it because we've got an action-packed show ahead of us. Uh, so the first news story is that another, an- uh, another Bioware director has left. The director of Anthem has left the company. Jonathan Werner, who has been at Bioware for 10 years at this point, he has left just weeks after they announced that Anthem Next or Anthem 2.0 was canned by EA. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the tweet announcing this, he said, so today is my last day at Bioware. I'm moving on to do new things. Bioware has been home to my grateful heart for nearly 10 years, and I want to wish them all the best. Um, Dragon Age, Mass Effect, and Star Wars The Old Republic are in good hands, and I can't wait to play from this side of the screen. Hashtag thank you, hashtag Bioware. And, uh, you know, this is not hugely surprising considering, you know, just a few months ago, it feels like. Uh, we saw Casey Hudson and uh, Mark Dara, both uh, leads in that uh, company, also leaving. It was the second time that Hudson left the company at this point. Uh, so it kind of feels like that all of that old guard of management, uh, for better or for worse, has moved on. And you can kind of see this as a, a double-edged sword, right? It could be like, cool, well, now Bioware has like fresh new blood and a fire under them to prove themselves. Mm. Or it could be the... Oh yeah, nah. Things haven't been going well for them for a long time now, and uh, these these management positions are just they're moving on because they can see the sinking ship. Uh, depends how you want to look at it, I guess. Yeah, from my understanding of the studio, it's very much a studio that's based on tradition. Oddly enough, as in there is this tradition of and culture of work, um, and that kind of stuff is perpetuated by leadership roles, management positions. So we've not heard good things about the work culture there. Maybe it's an opportunity for them to change. That's the um, silver lining, um, optimistic way to look at it. Uh, because Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely true that the past few like big releases have not been the you know most stellar hits. And EA as a parent company is quite invested in Bioware, as in I, I, from everything that we've heard, Publicly, there is a bit of meddling from um, upper management. So something's shifting. Culture, uh, work culture is definitely shifting over there and time will tell whether or not it's for the best. Yeah, there's as, you know, sometimes this sort of stuff works out or mm. sometimes you get rid of your CEO and replace them with a Trump staffer. That's a story for another day. Yep. Uh, <laughs> moving on, uh, Blooper Team, the uh, Polish horror studio behind... Uh, the Medium, which recently came out, Blair Witch, which surprisingly really good game, mm-hmm. uh, and Observer, and I'm pretty sure they did Layers of Fear as well, which is highly lauded in the horror game community. They have actually backed out of a bunch of talks to be acquired by another company. Uh, so uh, they've done a, uh, they've walked out of any acquisition talks, and this has been reported via a Polish site called Bankia. And uh, they basically have said at this stage it will be it would be incompatible with the culture of the organization and would significantly limit the potential growth of the company's value in the coming years, especially taking into account the projects implemented and planned. So uh, there are rumors been floating around for quite some time that Blooper Team is going to be working on a new Silent Hill game. Mm-hmm. And 
Those rumors have been very persistent. They haven't had any, like, there's no one super behind it that I know of that has a lot of credibility, but they are very, very persistent. And even the studio is kind of pointing towards that a little bit. Mm. Uh, So that would be a big win for them. And I think the medium, even though it has had some problems and it has people that definitely don't like it, it definitely made a statement and really put them on a mainstream level. Like Blooper Team are very well known in the indie community, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But uh, it gave them some credibility. Uh, and by all reports, they're also working on a sequel to Observer 2, which Observer was not the best game, but it certainly had some really cool ideas and had an atmosphere going for it. So it's exciting to see that, I guess, that Game Pass deal with Microsoft really cemented them to be able to continue as an independent company, which is exciting. So the logical thing to think about with this news is something landed, a deal solidified and then they could walk away from talks right absolutely it's either that or the sales because when the medium did launch about two months ago so they probably just got their first paycheck right like they would have had an advance for sure i would imagine from microsoft but Mm -hmm. usually it's you get paid two months later Mm and so it'd be after launch month they'd have a huge influx of cash because not everyone's playing that on game pass people are buying it on pc that sort of thing yeah um so yeah and then there could be that that uh Rumor is true, and they yeah. actually just ink- you never know the right? sign yeah. your paper for uh, Silent Hill or something, right? Can never tell. I love the way the um, article is written, though, because it implies that uh, they walked away and then just decided, no, we have more money than we thought. So my headcanon for this now is they went to talks with people, saw what people are offering to buy studios, went, oh, is that all it costs, and then decided to buy property themselves instead of being sold. <laughs> that uh, is also a potential. Thing, right? <laughs> they're just like, oh, we're richer than we thought. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. We'll just, uh, we'll, we'll become the buyers instead of the buy then. Yeah, let's we'll uh, do that. <laughs> because that's much more fun than the, you know, what probably actually happened, which is just some money came through the pipeline. Um. Yeah. I think it's, you know, this is a really, this is always to me is way more exciting than just an indie has a single hit. Like yeah. a small studio builds up to that double A standard and gets... To stay independent, I think, Mm. is where I want to see the industry go a little bit more. Mm. And we're starting to see that more and more often. And then to have someone like Blooper Team, like, they're not just making, like, oh, we made a roguelike and then we made an adventure game and then we made an ARPG. Like, they make horror games. They have their niche and they're perfecting that niche. And for better or for worse. This is a um, really hard niche to play in as well. Because the horror community is very particular. And it's almost a niche of, like limited resources because you can only use certain effects and techniques so often. Yeah, absolutely. Like, And it's, um, mm. I think the medium is a really good example of why these sorts of companies are exciting because people can dislike that game so much because they took a swing to do something different yeah. and it didn't land for some people, but there would be, a, there is a niche community out there that absolutely love that game. And I love that a company, like once you get to a certain level and you get investors involved, you can't take those big swings anymore. And that's where we get to where we've been for the last decade or even more is just everyone churning out sequel after sequel. Hey, Bioware, so. how you doing? <laughs> well, Ooh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, they took a swing with Anthem, right? And look at where yeah, that they got did. them. Look at where that got they them, did. basically. Yeah. But also when you get to that size, it's just designed by committee a lot of the time. Yeah. And then like Anthem, we did, like there, there is a shell of a decent game there. Mm. Like kind of like um, Outriders coming out today, actually. Like mm. there is a shell of a decent game there. 
how much of that was stripped back from EA getting involved or Square getting involved? Mm. Like, we don't know that stuff. Maybe there was none. Maybe they weren't involved. But there's always that, mm, I don't know how much the publisher is saying that this needs to be this way sort of thing going on. Yep. Definitely. And moving on. Now, this is this is a super quick one. I just think it's really interesting. So, Rocket League. I'm sure if you're listening to this show, you know what Rocket League is. But if you don't, it's soccer with cars that mm-hmm. came out quite a few years ago and was just like the biggest game. Best elevator time pitch time. ever. Yeah, soccer with cars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. Granted, I have not played it in over a year, but it's a lot of fun. They were acquired. Psionics, the studio behind it, were acquired by Epic last year, and it went free to play across a bunch of platforms. Mm-hmm. They're about to launch season three of Rocket League because I guess they restarted everything once the acquisition happened. Uh, and NASCAR and F1 cars are coming to Rocket League, like actual licensed from those companies now. NASCAR, I think, is a little bit loosey-goosey in terms of what it endorses and what it, you know, supports and that sort of thing. But Danica F1's Patrick like a really- Sega All-Stars yeah. Racing. <laughs> yes, that's it. Um, Formula One, though, is a prestige brand. It is. It's a really prestige brand, and it's kind of hilarious to see them be like, yeah, we'll use Formula One cars to hit a soccer ball into a goal. Uh, super interesting. Uh, and this is happening alongside- uh, the release of Rocket League Sideswipe, which is a free-to-play version for iOS and Android built from the ground up for mobile that will feature 1v1 or 2v2, um, which, you know, that sounds like a lot of fun and makes a lot of sense and matches in that format are only two minutes long, so it's a perfect phone game, I think. Mm. Um, But yeah, not much to say about it, just interesting to see these brands getting involved in, these car brands, very serious car brands getting involved in car soccer. I dig it. Tell you what else I dig. (laughs) <laughs> you and Monster uh, Hunter you Rise. and four million other people apparently yeah so Monster Hunter Rise came out uh last Friday it's very good we're going to talk about it at the back half of this show uh but it is shipped four million copies in just three days and it is a Nintendo Switch exclusive uh to give you a bit of a comparison when Monster Hunter World launched back in 2018 it hit five million copies in the first month uh, but it was on two platforms, PlayStation 4 and Xbox mm-hmm. One. Uh, for more uh, context on that, I, from memory, by the time mm-hmm. the PC version launched, which was a good uh, almost a year after the console yeah. versions, um, the first sales reports from then placed it at 7 million, which was at the time Capcom's highest grossing, um, sorry, highest number of shipped copies for a game ever. Yeah. So 4 right. million in three days for this company is insane yeah i would i would expect this to hit seven million by the end of the uh maybe not by the end of the first month but probably the first two or three months i reckon we'll easily get seven million keeping in mind this is single console exclusive yeah which now limits your market is, it is worth saying that this is the shipped figures rather than sold yes uh but it does include digital copies and i would say that the majority of people buying monster hunter are probably buying unless they want the amiibo version are probably buying digital mm. um so, you know, that number could be a little under, but regardless, absolutely super impressive. But mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that game in a little bit. Yep. Keeping on with Nintendo numbers, <laughs> the Super Mario 3D All-Stars uh, limited edition collection, which is, as of today, you can note there was no more stock going out. So once it's gone, it's gone. It is also being removed from the digital store, I believe, today. Yep. Yeah. Which... First of all, I think that is just utter bullshit. I, uh, I really do not agree with this, especially considering the quality of that product. 
Anyway, y- you know when Valve does a weird economic experiment? Yeah. This feels like that, right? This fe- this is so Disney Vault. It's just like, yeah. we're going to lock this away for 10 more years. And yeah. like, you know what? Like, I would I would still feel really bad about it if the quality of this collection was good. But mm. I would feel less bad about getting it than, uh, like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just the the most limited amount of work possible to make these games happen on the Switch. Mm. And then in the middle of a pandemic, when a lot of people don't have jobs and are stressing out about things, like Mario is, like, one of those things that majority of people are like, that's a fun time that gets my mind off things. And they're like, mm. yeah, you can only buy it for, like, nine months and then it's gone forever for no reason, especially, like, the digital version. But anyway- the sales have gone up 276% just uh, in the last week because yep. it's going away. Mm-hmm. So it just proves that Nintendo uh, tapped into that FOMO and uh, basically has set the precedent now. I would not be surprised if we see Nintendo do this way more often. So <sighs> yeah. now I know this is hypocritical of me because I went and uh, got myself a copy of this. Granted, I'm going to blame the Platforms and Pitfalls podcast for that because you were talking about Mario Sunshine. And I was like, ah, I want to play Mario Sunshine. But I specifically went out of my way to only buy a secondhand copy because I did not want to give Nintendo that money. I'm very um, But, uh, and weirdly enough, the secondhand copy was uh, only five yen cheaper than a new copy. But anyway, um, yeah. So a bit hypocritical for me to say that, but I also wanted to see, like I had heard the quality and like everything on the internet People, like, get so upset about, like, you know, the most minor things. But, like, mm. that port is just embarrassing, especially for the, like, $60 price tag. Mm. And, and but anyway. Don't, don't get us wrong. It's hard to do ports. But this is Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, this is Nintendo from their hardware onto their hardware. Uh, also, like, we've seen, uh, like, you know, Ocarina of Time yeah. and Majora's Mask get fantastic ports to a 3DS. Mm. Like, yeah. it's just embarrassing, especially in this day and age. Like, I, I do not expect every single game to do the Final Fantasy VII thing because that's a complete new project. Like, that might as well just be that, a that's game. not a That's not a port. That's not even a remaster. Yeah. That's Exactly. I mean, the but name is I expect yeah. a little bit more, especially if you're putting this limited thing on it that's yeah. like, you look at the Blizzard collection that recently came out mm-hmm. and they have, like, developer interviews. Like, it has, like, a whole package of stuff for you to explore there. Mm. And those are very, like... Kind of, I don't think many those people are care super about those niche games. games. Like, I, yeah. I don't know what it is about Blizzard thinking that a lot of people care about the Lost Vikings, but yeah, uh, I know, right? <laughs> Some yeah. people do rock and roll racing, baby. Yeah, but, you know, at yeah. least it had that sort of developer insight, yeah. like um, stuff like that. Like, they c- totally could have put some interviews with Miyamoto on there. Mm-hmm. Like, stuff like that would have even made it. Like, I would have bought it for that mm. at that point. Mm. But anyway, mm. uh, moving on to other. Sad things and business decisions. Sony has confirmed that the PS3, PSP, and Vita digital stores are closing for good this summer. I know that uh, Roase, your co-host on the podcast, is very upset about this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're basically closing down the digital storefronts. Uh, this was kind of leaked uh, last week and then like not confirmed and then reconfirmed. But the PS3 store is closing on the 2nd of July uh, and then all remaining PSP Purchase functionality will also cease at that time, and the Vita store will close down on the 27th of August. Mm. Uh, You will not be able to buy new games, but uh, users on those platforms will be able to purchase, uh, uh, re-download the games they've already purchased. This is kind of a landmark, because the this is one of the first really big stores tied to a console, 
like uh, you know the pri- the generation prior to this didn't have an online store, right? Yeah. So yeah, correct. It, I, I mean, it's not the first store to shut down. They shut down the Wii store a couple of years ago. At this point, that's true. Very true. Um, um that's, that's been a which while. I now don't that I think about that. Yeah, I don't yeah. even know if like I don't know what the deal is if you can re-download your purchases on the Wii. Yeah, I, I'm it, not sure. There may be even uh, less it, continued functionality. So, if anyone wants to let us know, write into the uh, podcast questions channel on Discord and let us know. Because, yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure how that worked. Mm, mm. Yeah. So, very sad here, but I don't think anyone can be wholly upset about this at the same time. PS3 I think so PSP old. Go owners can. Oh, uh, yeah. Be- because there's apps, there's no port on that thing. You can't put discs in it. There is no way to purchase games for that. Yeah. Like. I agree, like, this is, like, old... Maybe I don't agree for the Vita, but let's go mm. the PSP Go route mm. for this argument. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really old. What I think is sad uh, is, like, someone picks this up at a flea market and then realises they can't get games for it or anything like that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Or that, you know, digital preservation thing, which is something I'm thinking a lot about mm-hmm. now that I've got this Mr. Thing sitting in front of me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there'll be ways around it. And it's it's the thing where, like, you know, I'm not going to condone piracy. Like, I work in the games industry. I need people to buy games so we have jobs. Mm. But when things like this happen, there is no way around it, right? So that's an interesting thought experiment, right? What could have happened here, which I wholly expect Sony will never consider something like this. But um, sometimes when a studio stops a service for an online game, they release the source code for uh, hosting something like this on the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You always see fan servers of games that have been shut down. Yeah, and, and like, a lot of times, those are not officially condoned, but, like, uh, implicitly allowed by IP holders because it's a drain to to have these servers up and running. But if fans care about this and want to spend money out of their own pocket to keep these things running, there are outs that are amenable to both parties. Um, having said that, again, this is not Sony style. This is not Japanese game development's style. So mm. um, there, there, there can be like interesting standards to establish going forward for what happens when you deprecate an old system that is causing too much drain on a company's resources. It is absolutely acceptable for a company to just close something down. But you know, maybe you can just not even work with the community. Just release things to the community. Because if their communities die hard enough, they will do something with it. So. Yeah, it's Sony though, so that won't. No, 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 this won't happen for this. But you know, yeah. it's worth like bringing this up whenever things like this happen, so that possibly a new, a new normal can be established. Because it is sad. It is very sad to see something like this go away. Forever. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, but as part of this, we've actually seen a few games that were coming to the Vita cancelled mm-hmm. as a result of this. So Twin Breaker, which is from Lily Mo Games, has abandoned its plans to release the Vita release uh, because the game is at least six months away from its final release. And by the time that happens, the Vita store will be closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've had to release a statement. With today's news of the Vita store closing, we sadly have had to cancel the Vita version of our next game. The store will be closed before our next game is ready, so it seems Abroxia 2 will be our final Vita release. And then we also had uh, Thomas Altenberger, who's uh, the developer behind uh, Scourgebringer, which I checked out quite a while ago. It's a pretty cool game. Um, This is now official. Scourgebringer on the PS Vita will be a limited release and will only be available for 128 days before vanishing. No developer pun intended in that number. From April 22nd to August 27th. 128 days to get the last PS Vita game to release digitally. So, 
it's kind of not that surprised. Like, pe- I think people would be surprised just how uh, well Vita games sell, especially if you do one of those, like, yeah. limited run box collected things. Like, back in uh, Fellow Traveler days, we would try and put anything we could on the Vita because you were guaranteed to make money on that platform because there are people out there who are just trying to collect the whole set. It's one of those consoles that there weren't, a, like, insane number of, like, boxed releases for, so people want to get the entire collection. Mm-hmm. So... From a business standpoint, it makes sense, but I guess not now because it's closing. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to some new game uh, news here. So, Shadow Tactics. It's a fantastic stealth action game uh, that, you know, won a lot of awards. Um, Mimi Games is the studio behind it. They were actually, like, they basically bet their company on this game. They were almost bankrupt. The game came out, went on to sell and become, like, a really niche, hardcore title. And... People may know that studio as the developers behind Desperados 3, which also highly uh, acclaimed strategy game. They have announced that Shadow Tactics Blade of the Shogun is getting a standalone expansion, and it's called Aiko's Choice, uh, which takes you back to the Edo period of Japan, and you control Aiko, who is one of the protagonists featured in the main game with a whole cast of her assassin pals. Uh, it's going to be three missions plus a couple of side missions and it will release late in 2021. And that game's really gorgeous and has a really awesome aesthetic and just its gameplay is absolutely stellar. It's a little confronting when you first get into it. Um, but it's one of those games that I definitely want to get back to. Mm. And, uh, I'm excited to see that they're continuing that on with, with an expansion. Sounds super interesting. I haven't actually looked at this game ever <laughs> yeah it's so. it's it's one of those games that i used to see popping up on like humble bundles all the time and it would always go on sale and then i think i did get it as part of a bundle mm-hmm. and i was like ah, oh, like yeah cool i like tactics games i like stealth games and japan seems cool like that's all right and then yeah. it was actually undead pixel friend of the show mm-hmm. uh who was streaming it one day and he was like it was totally just like wow okay yeah this game is rad and then i started playing it and then work got in the way but very, very cool game. You can pick up, pick it up pretty cheap when it's on sale. I definitely recommend if you like. Uh, I don't know if you remember the, the Commandos games back in the day. I like don't, PC. actually. Yeah, they were these sort of stealth action games. It's very much in that vein, but gotcha. more streamlined and just very... Like, when I say tactics, it's not like Fire Emblem or... Um, it's not turn-based. It's, it's like uh, real-time. Real-time tactics. Yep. So it's very, very cool game. Yeah. Awesome. Lots of hiding in bushes and dragging bodies into bushes. Yeah, so. something to look at. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, another indie game that I haven't played a lot of, Cloudpunk, uh, which has a really niche um, fan base. It's uh, basically Uber in Uber meet Uber driver meets um, uh, what's Fifth Element. That's the, that's yeah, the movie I'm thinking totally, of. Totally. Yeah. Um, and it, it just has a really cool Blade Runner aesthetic. Uh, they are releasing a sequel-sized DLC called City of Ghosts, and it's going to be a basically sequel to the original game. Mm. It's going to launch on PC soon. Uh, cool. And they haven't announced if there's going to be a console version, but I imagine there would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and to celebrate the announcement, uh, Cloudpunk is 40% off on Steam right now. So... Uh, pretty excited for this and now it's like oh cool i've got a reason i'll just wait for that to come out and i'll play it all together um i think it's about seven to eight hours long so it's not a super long game um and if this is sequel size then that's you know a good 20 hours of exploration in a cyberpunk city are waiting for you while they still fix cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> <laughs> this this game looks amazing yeah. in my opinion yeah it's yes. it's another one of those ones that came out like 
I couldn't do a video of it because actually the company that Blue and I worked for, we helped them with the Japanese release. Uh, so conflict of interest there. And then because I was like, well, I can't review it. I just never got around to playing it because mm. um, I wasn't involved on that project. So. Um, cool. Well, I'm going to throw it over to Blue's sort of trash corner. There's a sort of <laughs> trash and then there's the total trash. Yeah. So take it away, All Blue. Right, sort of trash. Um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? SEO. Uh, Among Us uh, released a new update featuring a brand new map. So Among Us, the the hit multiplayer uh, hidden role game from last year when it got its online update uh, that, and then just blew up uh, in a year of pandemics, um, released its biggest update since introducing an entirely new map. The interesting thing to me about this map is that um, the artist on the team, um, uh, the team being Inner Sloth and the artist being Puffballs, um, worked on another series of games uh, from going all the way back to Flash era. So most of these are free-to-play games um, that started with, I believe it was like breaking into the bank, um, escaping the prison. There's a number of like in that vein. And uh, recently, I think two years ago, released a like collection of those games as well as a new thing called Infiltrating the Airship. So this series of game follows... Um, this character named Henry Stickman, as you just... It, it's effectively a choose-your-own-adventure book because you get to certain points, you pick an option, and then you have a wacky thing play out. Most of these result in failure, and some of these get you to the end of the game. Uh, why do I bring this up? Well, the new map in Among Us is the airship from infiltrating the airship to the point where if you look at the... If you watch the trailer for uh, the airship, you will um, see that you know, it follows throughout most of the trailer. Um, Henry, referencing Henry Stickman, the the imposter that kills Henry is RHM, short for Right Hand Man, which is a character in infiltrating the airship uh, in in the series. And body is found by Ellie, one of the people he meets in one of the games. So this is really cool to me for um, this you know well known but like Flash era artist uh, working together in this team and being like, hey, let's bring these things together. Wanted to point that out. I, I really love the way the airship looks at the moment. There's a lot of in-jokes in the map for the games, um, which you don't need to know at all to play. So very cool. I think the actual newsworthy part of this is that um, this comes along with... Um, oh, actually, yeah, yeah. sorry. It I'm comes just... along with the new game mode? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the new game mode is not up yet, but... It is in development. Sorry, I'm just reading a correction now and then my brain short-circuited. Um, that will allow <laughs> up to 15-player lobbies, um, which is going to be huge which, yeah, for Which, yeah, 10, that's an extra five, right? Uh, yes, it's at 10. correct. Yeah, pretty pretty awesome and pretty huge. Um, and to, to be clear, some of this has already been modded onto the base game. Like, um, there, there's a quite an active modding scene for Among Us that adds other things such as, like, unique roles, uh, such as the sheriff who can kill someone, but if it's not an imposter, they die as well. Um, um, variants on the imposter, like the morphling that can turn into other players for a brief period of time um, to confuse things even further. Stuff like that. These yeah. things have been added already, but uh, the base game is getting, yeah, a proper like 15-player lobby update. So that's it's awesome cool. to see that game just continue to grow and go from strength to strength, mm. even though I'm salty because Project Winter is 10 times the game it will ever be, and I just want people to play that. But 
I get it. Like it's much simpler. Yeah, Among Us is much simpler. Yeah, that's also it. Among it's, Us is on phones. Yeah, exactly. It it is the simple mainstream version of it, but it's this weird thing, right? Because we, well, I had played so much Project Winter that yeah. I came to it and it was fun for about five minutes. And that's not to say it's a bad game, but it's like it's kind of like uh, once you start playing more complex games than Catan, Catan's just kind of like, oh yeah, I get it. Like, you know what I mean? That's how I feel about it. I know what you mean, and that would be too deep of a rabbit hole to go down. Uh, Tides of Blood, <laughs> Defense of the Ancients, uh, Warcraft 3 mod... Uh, sorry, custom map games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, just very quickly... Well, that wasn't a quick thing, but, like, t- want to touch on that. I think that's really, really cool. Uh, just to give some history for why it's the airship and why it's so goddamn huge. Um, yeah. Speaking of history... Uh, this like recently came across my Twitter feed and this is not a new story at all, but I thought this was really, really cool and worth mentioning. Can I, can I just say I'd never heard this story and it's super cool. So please story time, (laughs) story time. So a popular fighting game series, King of Fighters is slated to get, um, uh, a new entry sometime this year. King of Fighters 15 is coming out. However, this story goes way back. Um, this is a word-of-mouth story about a character in King of Fighters named Angel. Apparently, and allegedly, I will say, because this is all word-of-mouth story, um, a small company called Evoga was meeting with SNK, the creators of King of Fighters, because they were working on a video game called Rage of the Dragons that would be released on the Neo Geo arcade entertainment system, which is um, owned, developed, and deployed by SNK. And um, during talks... A director at Evoga mentions that they love King of Fighters and that he's good. SNK just calls him out on it and goes, money match me, bro, effectively. And the deal was that um, if the Evoga director beat the beat SNK's strongest King of Fighters player, they would develop and design a character in their honor. But if the if Evoga lost, they would have to make a um an SNK character for Rage of the Dragon, and then some weird, like, money things alongside that. Um, The details of this are not clear, and there's, like, alleged just, you know, the deal would have gone a bit deeper into, like, SNK lending more support to it or whatever to make this all work. But basically, that's the story of how, um, I believe (laughs) the person's name is Angel Taurus, beat SNK's strongest player, which in turn created the uh, wrestling fangirl character Angel, in King of Fighters. This is insane. <laughs> it's such a... It's such a, uh, like, Japanese CEO, like, Nomikai, hitting the beers, trash-talking. Yeah. Like, this is a good idea. Walk back to the office late at night. Like, <laughs> just duke it out over some arcade yeah. sticks. I love it. And the details on a lot of this are fuzzy. Like, there's a statement that says... Wait, I thought it that they finalized... Sorry, I thought that what the design, the deal involved was, like, the design, but that a lot of her base functionality was already established. Um, I wanted to really bring this up because a lot of stories like this happen all the time, and none of this will ever be reported because, especially in this case, is pretty niche from a very long time ago. So there's a lot of really cool development that happens all the time, and if you come across this, it's pretty cool. Um, pay attention to it and pass it on because these make amazing stories. I want to give a special shout out to who did the the like huge Street Fighter 2 like walk down history collating 
um, interviews and stuff. I want to say it was Kotaku like a while ago. It probably was Kotaku. Because yeah. that was really cool. That was, um, you know, a lot of stories about Street Fighter 2's development was all disparate and spread out and they just put a lot of it in one place. This kind of stuff is uh, super Yeah, neat. it's like that uh, Smash Brothers documentary, the mm. really bad one on YouTube. Mm. And, and when I say really bad, as in like editing and quality, mm. but it pulls in all this footage from when, you know, people were flying from America to Japan and yeah. sleep, 10 people staying in a tatami room to compete against Japan's best Smash players before there even was a Smash scene, which, yeah. you know, that, that stuff's super interesting. And as you said, that's always just lost to time. Yeah. So, um, in an effort to make some of these stories not lost the time let's go into the maximum trash corner that this is and (laughs) let me be clear here when i say trash i mean this is such a niche thing that i think uh, average listeners will still enjoy listening to the story but you won't care about the context specifically right so let me let's begin uh type moon is the company behind well the ip holders behind one of the biggest uh gacha games in the world right now and this like means something gotcha games revenue are in millions of us dollars right uh fate grand order so uh they began life as a dojin circle back in the late 90s in the year 2000 they released a um a game that effectively catapulted them to the point of being able to become a company sukihime uh very quick a dojin circle is effectively um, a fan indie circle, like normally based out of university, because that's what clubs were called in university circles um, in Japan. Dojin actually means fan made, if I'm not mistaken. Steve might be able to correct me, and if he can't, I'm sure anyone else listening <laughs> will know better. Uh, yeah, so. I'm not. I'm not sure. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, it normally means fan made. So um, in this case, it's kind of weird probably properly translates to indie in this case because Tsukihime is not based on anything but it was uh, an adult visual novel um, or erotic visual novel um, that was yeah released in 2000 and kind of just catapulted this this circle up to the point of in 2004 releasing their first game under the company of Type Moon and then the rest is history Type Moon became this company's like runaway success and um Saber's face got put on everything. Uh, back in January, Type Moon announced that it will be uh, releasing a remake for Tsukihime. This game that they developed while still in Indie Circle, effectively, um, this year in 2021. Um, which is really cool because this is going to be the first visual novel out of them from what I can tell from my very brief research since uh, 2013. So it's been like seven years since they've made a uh, visual novel for a company that is really like specialized in this kind of stuff. They've been busy with expanding a lot of their IPs into other um, into other genres, um, various uh, fate based games, Fate Extella, Fate Extra, Extra Two, um, Grand Order, Apocrypha. They've done a lot of stuff in the meantime, so it's it's int- it's very cool to see them come back to the visual novel roots. However, what's super interesting to me is um, this week, last week, thereabouts, this time, uh, time is uh, a lie and an illusion. But recently, it was announced that the fighting game based on Tsukihime Melty Blood is getting a new version to tie in to the Tsukihime remake. Uh, Melty Blood Type Lumina is coming out. Um, bit of history on that. Melty Blood is made by a another Dojin Circle uh, originally um, called French Bread, who 
thanks to their exposure with Melty Blood, um, I don't want to say exploded, but like got big enough to release their own um, standalone title, Undernight Inbirth, which is one of these games that is big insofar as a lot of people play this in tournament, but it's still just a fighting game. And while being a fighting game, it's what's considered a niche fighter anime fighting game. Um, so, you know, it has a dedicated fan base, but doesn't hit like Street Fighter numbers, right? Uh, and French Bread is being brought back for Melty Blood type Lumina. And I'm really excited for that. And this is a really cool thing to see from a like kind of community historical perspective, because let me describe to you an image that I sent to Steve to kind of contextualize the Melty Blood community, right? This is Oh, what an image it is. This is a picture taken through the doorway to a bathroom, right? Like on the far right, basically out of frame, you can see the shower curtain to the like shower area. Right next to it is the toilet bowl, but it's shut and on it, you can see like, it looks like a rug to me. And then on that rug is a laptop, right? Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. there's this net of cables from the laptop. One of these cables goes out to a TV, but the TV is in the sink next to the <laughs> to the toilet bowl, and the and the TV is like crooked. It's it's just propped in the sink. It wasn't like placed there carefully. It was just put down. This is how it's gonna sit, and then you have just like power cables going up and out off screen, and one of the other cables coming out is to a GameCube controller. <laughs> yep, <laughs> in the sure hands is. of someone leaning against the door to the bathroom. And instead of another controller coming out and both players playing on the laptop, the other player is playing on the laptop's keyboard. Yeah, that's, how, that's the best way to play fighters. Everyone knows that. I have done this. <laughs> uh, so Roase, Rowan and I, went. the first time we met in person uh-huh. was at university after we had um, discussed this online of just, hey, we are both players who, for this game, mind you, you know, because it's so hard to find multi-blood players, and like we were like, oh my god, you you've played Melty Blood, and I don't have to introduce you to this game. We should totally meet up and play. So we met in a common area in the university, and he played on his stick, and I played on the laptop's keyboard because I played that game on keyboard. So like, right, right. When I see this image, when I describe this, this is a bit more ghetto <laughs> than the way we did it. <laughs> but like, this is a shared language for this game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Um, and that's just this, this evokes to me, you know, that image of the Counter Strike land with the person duct taped to <laughs> yes, the. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's it's that, but for a fighting game yeah. in a bathroom kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, it's super, super neat that uh, Melty Blood is coming back, that they got the original developer back for it. Um, its trailer is so short, it's like a minute long. I spent half an hour to an hour analyzing it. And, you know, it's, it's only things that you can do when you are, like, are super into a game, right? Um, yeah, totally. So I'm super down for that. There's a lot of interesting things uh, in it that, um, you know, the community is already going kind of crazy over. Um, but yeah, super interesting. My voice is going from all that ranting. <laughs> <clears throat> all the excitement. All the all excitement. The excitement. Um, Super interesting game announcement that won't hit any kind of mainstream, I don't think, but uh, something for all of us Type Moon fans to look out for. And that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad for all 17 of you. 
Maybe there will be 18 by the end of the year. That's the dream. Yes. The dream. All right, before we move on to the games we uh, have been playing, we have a uh, listener question. If you have a question for us, you can hit us up on Twitter at Pixels Breakfast, or you can join our lovely Discord community. And there is a podcast questions uh, channel in there. This one actually comes from uh, Rowan, who we've spoken about a few times on this episode. He is Blue's co-host on the Platforms and Pitfalls podcast, which is also on the Pixels of Breakfast Network. So you can always see that on our site. comes out once a month. Uh, but anyway, his question is, what are some big gaps in your gaming knowledge you wish you had filled, but know you are probably never going to, be it a series, genre, company, region, etc.? I am kind of going through this right now, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, so, you know, J- I'm living in Japan. I never really played uh, JRPGs growing up. Like, I lived in a country town and getting games there in general was hard, mm. uh, let alone Japanese games, because that's weird would be the <laughs> response that many people would give. Yeah, um, not wrong. So, I never touched JRPGs. And I've actually, every time I've tried to touch one until recent times, I've really struggled with it because it's slow and at times quite boring Mm -hmm. and turn-based and learning about buffs and debuffs. And it's just a a gaming language I've never really touched. Mm. Uh, And to be honest, I probably wouldn't, except the fact that I live in Japan and I work on a lot of these games now. So it's been like a research thing. And I finally hit the point where I'm starting to enjoy it. I'm starting to wrap my head around it. You understand? Uh, like I don't, I don't think I'll be a super fan that like JRPGs are like my number one genre, and I have these no. amazingly fond memories of, of games. But as the going back and checking that out, mm. it's been really interesting. As the meme goes, he's starting to believe. Yeah. <laughs> well, the th- the interesting thing to me, like I um. I'll talk about this in a little bit, but I'm going to start playing Chrono Trigger and I booted it up just to check it out real quick. Mm. And I'm like, ah, JRPG design really has not changed in 25 years, basically. Um, The focus has been on the narrative in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, So that's been interesting. Uh, In terms of like knowledge that I uh, haven't had, like that would have been number one and I'm feeling that. And then the other thing is just like weird consoles and stuff that never came out in Australia Mm. or were really hard to get. Uh, like, I'm super obsessed and fascinated by Neo Geo, uh, which has been part of the whole Mr. situation for mm. me. Um, I guess visual novels would be one, and I'm just not going to go down that rabbit hole. Like, I don't really care. I don't know much about them, and I don't care to, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, but what about you, Blue? It's, it's, a, it's a hard question, because uh, I like to think that I'm proactive with how I approach my gaming. So there's not much I wish I had filled, but there's a lot of blind spots, right? I wish I could enjoy The Witcher 3, um, but as it stands, I don't. Oh, I've never loved hating a game so much. Like, <laughs> I love the story. I love the setting. And, like, I'm not even a fantasy person and I love that stuff. Yeah. But I just, I hate playing that game. Yeah, yeah. Like, I hate it. Like, I would rather just watch a quest, like, supercut YouTube, mm-hmm. like, four-hour video than actually play that video game. Yeah. It's hard because, you know, you know it's a good game and you know you're going to probably be richer for playing it but um in my head all i see is the walking and the time it consumes and then the combat is super floaty and um yeah it happens right it happens i so i don't necessarily like if i truly wished i had played it i would just grit my teeth and play it but fact of the matter is i have better things to play for the most part um genre wise interestingly visual novel is kind of like a similar thing um because i have played a few um the two that stick out in, in like strong memory for me, possibly because of the news, is Tsukihime and, and Fate Stay Night. I think Fate Stay Night set the bar when it was released. 
it went visual novels yeah. went from this like normally made by doujin circles because it's cheap to make a game this way to hey maybe we can make some serious games this way and earn money doing it um it's hard to say without knowing the landscape of the Japanese development scene at the time, but you know, to me, Face the Net was a landmark title and really set the stage um, for acceptance, especially in the West. Especially in the West, yeah. Face the Night had quite a it's, big. It's kind of interesting, right? Because like Phoenix Wright is very close to a visual novel. Mm. I would argue. Yeah, yeah, like definitely. I'm talking about mainstream yep. here. Like without the here are the the line in the sand of what is a visual novel yeah, yeah. and it's not. Like to me. That's a visual novel, but it has enough mechanics that I enjoy that game. Yep. Right? Um, To me, in my mind, a visual novel is an anime game, basically, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's it's usually Mm Japanese-made story, very little interaction. Maybe you can make a choice or two. Mm. Um, Mm. It's why I liked Valhalla, right? Like, it wasn't Japanese-made, but it was, like, very much modeled after that. But you had the drink-mixing mechanic and the buying things for your apartment, and that was enough to make me, like, yeah, I can do that. Mm. Um. When I say that, like, visual novels are not interesting to me, it's just, like, my perception of them. Yeah. And I know enough about myself that I'm just not interested in yeah. really um, going down that road. So, the, the full genre of it does so many interesting things. Like, mainstream titles aside, you know, the, like, really true blue visual novels that have done well, those aside, yeah. um, there's a lot of interesting parodies, there's a lot of interesting plays on the mechanics, and there's a lot there. Um, but this is a genre that takes a lot of time because it is hard reading that's one of the core interaction points of visual novels as a genre it's just reading and it's hard to get around that and uh yeah yeah, yeah. i just don't have the attention for that these days so super yeah. interesting but not one that i'm exploring i will say this uh to <laughs> to Roase's question uh follow niche um bloggers uh like he has introduced me to a couple of people um Tom Tom Jones is that his name? I, like his Twitter handle always has the Daigo Umehara of dating uh, of like dating Sims in front of it, so I can never remember what his name is. And Kim Imi on Twitter, they do fantastic dives into like older games that y- you don't want to do because you don't have time to do, and they're so good at like breaking things down. So like find these people if you're interested but don't have time, and then live vicariously <laughs> yeah i think i've hit that stage now where it's just like i know what i like i know what i don't like yeah. but that doesn't mean i don't like hearing or yeah, understanding yeah. about these so, other things right yeah um yeah like i'm sorry that we don't have a bigger stranger answer for that, <laughs> yeah unfortunately we're i think that's in this sense yeah, we are it, well-rounded adults who have formed a reasonably healthy relationship with this uh medium that we all share and it's also just the thing of like uh, me doing reviews and oh, yeah. you being like into design and like I'm very into design and making games mm. and like I try to touch and understand a little bit of everything yeah. where I feel like most of the gamers quote unquote gamers <laughs> that I know mm. they're like I like these things and I don't actually care about design or the other things so yeah. I don't act they don't actively search that stuff out yep. right that's right and there's nothing wrong with that yeah. it's just like in, in my mindset, I'm always trying to, like, oh, what's that about? Yeah. What don't I understand about these things? So, it, yeah. This question really changes once you meet a person who is willing to play a game to learn about a game's design, which is where yeah. we are right now, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, more on that in my cool. section when we talk about games. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to just blast through some of the games that I've been playing, mm-hmm. and then we'll get into the Monster Hunter Rise and then cross over to you, because we both played that. Sure. Um, so, uh, I've... <laughs> Been playing Fights in Tight Spaces. I've mentioned that a few times on uh, the podcast. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and 
Uh, I have a video in the editing bay with Valen right now, so I've done a worth it Excited. of that game. Mm. Uh, long story short, that game's really, really good. Um, it's if if you ever wondered what John Wick's mind would work like uh, <laughs> in a Slater Spire type world um with the sheen of a mi6 sort of yeah. 007 vibe yeah. like that's this game except his um, mind except he took a few too many concussions so he doesn't remember all the moves he can do but only like a few at a time yeah exactly <laughs> it's it's really interesting because like john wick hex came out that was supposed to simulate like a turn-based thing and i think this is way more of a john wick simulator mm-hmm. than john wick hex mm. um it comes from uh the developers behind Frozen Synapse are publishing it. Mm. I'm not sure if they're working on it. I know that Nervous Test Pilot, who's Paul from Mode 7 Games, uh, he is doing the soundtrack. So they're involved in some capacity outside of the publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very much that vibe. Uh, high contrast. Everything is like that white sheen and then you're black and white and then the characters are like red and white and all this sort of stuff. Very low poly. Um, and you're just using... Uh, cards to pull off your actions you have three starting decks or you unlock three starting decks at the start mm. there's like balanced defensive which is a lot of counters and soaking damage and stuff and then there's aggressive which is like jumping off walls and doing all sorts of crazy things yep. um and they're all very different play styles like kind of like slay the spy like each character has its different vibe like these decks definitely change the way that you approach situations and i really really appreciate that mm. unlike slay the spy though you can't like build out your own deck from scratch. Like Slay the Spire, you go in with a very limited yep. number of cards and then you build out. Like Fights in Tight Spaces, you go in with quite a big selection of cards mm. and then you're slowly just adding bits to it. And I never feel like I'm in control of my deck. It's like, well, I'm going to take a card because you know in Slay the Spire too, how you're trying to run the leanest deck possible. Yeah. Like I feel like in this game, that doesn't matter as much. Yeah. Um, they have said that now this is in early access worth worth stating that they have said that that is something that they're looking to add based on player feedback down the road. Mm. So, you know, that's just something to be aware of. And that's actually probably a good thing if you don't play a lot of deck builders or you're kind of scared of deck builders, because this actually plays more like into the breach. In oh, terms that of makes sense. You're yeah. getting these cards and like if you like more often than not, you will have like some block, some movement and some attack in every hand M- more often than not. So you kind of have the tools to get out of most situations and then kind of like into the breach, you can see, okay, he is going to hit you. Mm. This one's going to attack. This one will attack if you walk into its frame, all of those things. So it's kind of like puzzling out how you can move around, do maximum damage, how you can push an enemy into the line of fire, how you can maybe push an enemy into a wall, which does damage, like all of those sorts of things. So it's, Really scratching that itch because that's what I really loved about Into the Breach yep. was the planning element of it all. Um, and like I was dying a lot, dying a lot. And then as soon as I really changed my way of thinking around, okay, I'm going to play this like Into the Breach, like I got mm. through to the boss for the first time. Gotcha. Um, so I really like just how different it is. It's very striking. It uh, Also at the end of each fight, uh, it does a replay where it cuts out all of your decision making. Yeah. And that's a good it's stuff. Super cool. That's the good stuff. But also super silly when you've spent three turns just moving around the map to avoid hits and nothing's happening and that's happening in your replay. Um, but yeah, this game is really unique. I definitely highly recommend checking it out. And yeah, video will be going up next week on this. Talking about like genres, right? This is a super cool one, which I think of as uh, complete information games. Because a lot of games yeah, right. conceal information and make um, scouting part of the gameplay process, right? But games like yep. Into the Breach, their their entire like basis and premise is that 
you have all of the information. You have all of the tools. Early on, you literally have a perfect solution. It's just whether or not you're good enough to get there. And then later on, as the things evolve, it's you have perfect information. How do you mitigate damage, right? So yeah, yeah. this is a super interesting genre that is relatively new, in my opinion. Like, Or, or rather, relatively new to be explored in the mainstream. Um, yeah, for sure. It's like a, a math equation, yeah. right? Like, Or it is like chess. You're just like trying yeah. to work out what is... Whether you're trying to do min-max, like, what is the the quickest way that I can get through this? Mm. Or how can I maximize the debt? Like, there's options. And I like knowing what the options yeah. are. And it, it challenges you're not you to rush think, to make that Like decision. chess, it challenges you to think multiple steps ahead. Yeah, which I'm typically bad at doing, which is why I was struggling until eventually it clicked. And, yeah, and now you're, it's just really great. And now you can see the matrix. Exactly. That's is that great moment of, like, all right, I get this. Yeah. Like, I'm sure next time I go into it, I can just smash that first area. Awesome. Um. Because, like, Slay the Spire, you have, instead of, like, floors, you have missions. So, the mission that I was doing was taking down a Norwegian bikey game. Mm. And then, like, each place along the, there's, like, a um, timeline. And then it's, like, we'll branch off. Like, you can go fight in the bar or you can fight in the restaurant or you can fight in the tattoo parlor. Yeah. And you move along and then you like, oh, okay, so the left track actually spirals out to a gym. Which means if I get there, I can upgrade or... Um, yep. buy new cards or get rid of cards if you wanted to do that. Or I could go down the medical route um, and then like, uh, I went, I chose the main line towards the gym and now I'm stuck on this track and I'm nearly dead and I really need that medical mm-hmm. and I can't get there. Like those sorts of things. Yeah. So um, yeah, pretty cool game. Uh, a little hard to explain in words, but yeah, check out the video uh, when it launches. Another game I checked out this week was Narita Boy. This is an action adventure platformer that is just 80s it is soaked in 80s um it feels like you know turbo kid if you know that movie it's definitely like that very like we are gonna put a lot of synth wave we're gonna use Mm, like uh the the sort of atari motif and like you know yellow red and blue Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. colors like you literally get a sword that is the three colors of the world um but it's I don't know, like, it is stylish as hell. Like, uh, it's has been quite a while that I've booted up a game and then just been like, I love everything that this is showing me right now. Like, it's equally, like, Stranger Things 80s vibe. Mm. It is Tron. It is just as a, it, for some reason, it calls Atari to me, like, just the, the mythos of Atari from that era. Um, and basically what happens is... The creator of uh, the Narita something, I can't remember. It's like a computer console, um, has uh, been knocked out and lost his memory. And you go into the digital kingdom. You're the summoned uh, hero of the land, Narita boy. Mm -hmm. And you are basically going through to discover memories of the creator, help him to get his memory back. And you're fighting up these uh, stallions that are taking over the digital code. Cool. And- it's very, like, it feels like Neuromancer. It's very techno babbly yeah. stuff. And it's very wordy. And it kind of goes over my head a little bit. But so did Neuromancer. Like, <laughs> I'm willing to say it's well written. It's really well written. And, like, surprisingly so. Um, but it's not super resonating with me. But the overall arching story is. Mm-hmm. So the when you find these memories, they're like a vignette that has no combat where you're learning more about the creator as a child, yep. he's growing up in Japan. His dad's American mm. and his mum is Japanese. Um, and 
you know, that could be hitting me differently because I'm here now, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of interesting. I'm not exactly sure where they're going to take it. Like, it's probably going to be like, I was mistreated in Japan and my dad was a bit of a shithead and uh, I created this game console and coding was my way to survive. I I think that's, if it does go down that sub story of I was a recluse, like that's going to be a bit disappointing. Um, Yeah. But it, yeah, it just has a really good aesthetic like you were there for the aesthetics the platforming is very average the combat is fine like i said this on the stream because i did a quick look of this live you can go watch that replay on youtube Mm -hmm. now um there's nothing wrong with the combat but when you have like so many of these games coming out and you have like dead cells for me is the benchmark yeah um or even games like undermine that came out recently like the combat is nowhere near that polish so it's just like it's fine it's serviceable it's not exciting yep um it's trying to get you with the, the other thing is you then. yeah like i am there for the aesthetic yep. and the visuals and that alone is interesting enough and the story is super cool if anyone out there has read saga the the comic series it definitely is invoking a lot of that imagery with the uh, digital robot kings and stuff like that um yeah, I haven't seen a game look this good and this, like, it has its vibe and style just so dialed in in quite some time. Yeah. I think I'll probably just keep picking away at it. I'm not going to do a review. That's why I did the quick look live. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, Narita Boy, it's out on Game Pass. So, if you have Game Pass for PC or Xbox, you can play it there or it's also out on other consoles. I think the Switch and PlayStation cool. and PC, obviously. Sounds neat. Um, Sounds neat. Yeah. It's probably kinda probably neat. not too uh, long of a game. Yeah, though. I expect it to be probably four to yeah. six. I don't, sounds, I, I don't super like it. think it's going to, it's pretty linear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the Mister, which I think I, I got it, uh, last week. So, uh, we haven't talked about getting it, but that little box of joy is here. I got it all set up <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, I blew, I did something bad. You, n- not just something, you've done many things bad in, re- in relation to y- this. Like, let's be y- honest yeah. here. Y- yeah. I, I may have won an auction uh-huh. for a 24-inch CRT TV yeah. that's coming from Osaka tomorrow. Yeah, uh, where, where and, the delivery uh, cost is higher than the cost of the TV itself. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, a beautiful Sony Trinitron uh, to... Then I've had to buy... So, this is actually really interesting. <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole, right? So, the Mr... This is going to be super technical, but I think it's interesting, yeah, so I'm going to talk about it. it. So, the Mister, uh, like, you can buy an I.O. board for it, which puts an analog signal signal out alongside the HDMI, right? So, I went that route. And it's basically like a VGA port on the back of the Mister that sends out RGB signal or component signal, which is, you know, the yellow, uh, red, uh, the green, the blue, yellow, red video cable. Yeah. Right. Um, or you can do VGA to VGA if you wanted to do that. Um, all of that you have to change on the ini file to make it work and hard code it, which is pretty interesting and cool. Um, but the thing is that those component cable standards are not common in Japan. Like they don't only the highest end of consumer TVs had it here. Um, where in like Australia and America, like Basically, any TV from 2000 on that was CRT had those in there. So, you could plug, like, Xbox 360s into them and stuff like that and get 480p. Uh, so, in Japan, what I've discovered through this, and all of this took me, like, so long because I had to, like, dig through Japanese technical manuals and, like, my Japanese is terrible and then I translate and stuff. Anyway, uh, in Japan, most of the Sony TVs here actually have the exact same multi-AV input that the back of the PlayStation 1 and 2 had. So it's just like a dedicated PlayStation cable, mm. basically. 
that you would plug from your console to your TV. So then I went down the rabbit hole of, well, are there adapters for that? So I could like go VGA to that? No, that does not exist. But on the back of a lot of the TVs here in Japan, they have what's called D-terminal, which is RGB and component, uh, but it's just a proprietary Japanese plug. Um, that was only on Japanese hardware. So I've had to buy a D-terminal adapter uh, that accepts component cables and then a VGA to component cable adapter for the Mister, and uh, praying that that works. Otherwise, I've just got a CRT TV that I can't plug my Mister into. Um, but that was a kind of interesting thing to just be like, ah, oh, TVs, like I'm used to technology here not being the same model, but it's basically the same features mm-hmm. as the West. But to have, like, a totally different video standard just seems absolutely crazy, considering, that like, how prolific HDMI, like, HDMI is the video standard now. There is nothing else. Yeah. Um, and, like, this wasn't that long ago. Like, Component and RCA and all that stuff was pretty, I thought, widespread as being the, the standard uh, back in those days. But I guess not for Japan. Um, I mean, I didn't really, like, I, I knew people who were choosing to use Component because they wanted better quality in Malaysia before I left it. But I didn't run it mm-hmm. into it being commonplace until I hit Australia. Yeah, right. Yeah. Interesting. Like, I knew of it because people were saying, yeah, this is actually better fidelity. Um, so let's mm-hmm. use it when we can. But yeah. for the most part, we were using VGA. Yeah, I remember when it was when the Xbox 360 came out that I first personally ran into that because those first Xbox 360 runs didn't have HDMI. Yeah. I think it was revision three of that console came out with a HDMI mm. input. And then you could buy like a component to HDMI Xbox adapter mm. with a switcher mm. in it. Yeah. Like that was a thing yep. for a while. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, so like I've, I've got a bunch of that retro stuff. I've been playing Super Mario World and I'm going to do a hundred percent run on that. Get those 96 exits. Uh, I think I'm up to 79 Ugh. at the moment. They just get so much harder from there so, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's cool. And then, yeah, just been playing around. I'm going to do a video on the Mister um, just because I want to. Uh, it's like an open source project too. And it's just really cool to see how much uh, work that the community is putting into making this thing just fantastic. So I wanted to do a video to maybe bring a bit of attention to that. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And then, yeah. yeah and then Monster Hunter Rise Blue. Hey, what do you say about this game? Jesus. It sold 4 million copies in three days. Yeah. It is a much more... Let, let's start from the top, I guess. It's a much yep. smaller game than World. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's not as ambitious yes, for the story. For, for for a lot of people, for the better. Um, so if you got into World because you were super in on the story, I don't know how many of you there are out there who did that. But if you did, mm-hmm. uh, awesome. I love it. Uh, I totally understand why. Uh, unfortunately, Rise is not much in the story department. Which works better for the way we're playing it right now, mm-hmm. which is just uh, whenever the hell we can find time because life gets in the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in terms of, because you had never played the older Monster Hunters. No. You'd only played. I only have um, 500 hours in World. Yeah, just, just 500 <laughs> Only 500 hours. hours. That's all I have in the Monster Hunter series. I had played a fair amount of uh, Monster Hunter 3 uh, HD try re-release version 7 or whatever yeah. on the Wii U. And um, Monster Hunter 4 on the 3DS. Mm. And then I've played World as well. Mm. And uh, Monster Hunter Rise is definitely, to me, the perfect middle ground of both series. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of the older style uh, trappings, I guess you would call yep. it, or maybe- um, Conventions. Yeah, it has yeah. a lot of those, yeah, yeah, that the um, old games had, but a lot of the speed and quality of life improvements that World introduced. Mm. Um, 
it's a it's a much faster game than I was expecting, and to be honest, that on paper that could actually hurt the formula. But I I can't imagine another Monster Hunter game without the Palamutes at this point. Um, Interesting. They just open up yeah so many uh, movement options. Like you can do all of your maintenance. What you like, you're never stopping in this game. Right. Very rarely are you stopping, and I much prefer that I, because I feel like I don't even run Palamutes anymore. Oh, re- yeah. oh yeah, that's right. You just roll roll the cats. I only roll cats now. Um, for me, it's like the speed doesn't detract from why I enjoy. Monster no, Hunter. absolutely not. No, it, it's um, and there, it's quality of life speed actually yeah yeah, it's it's all just oh you can you can sharpen on the back of your while moving you can move at speed and still drink a potion you know that kind of stuff yeah yeah and just picking up like herbs and stuff as you're rolling along i think the main thing about speed is the namesake of the game right uh the wire bugs which is where the rise comes from the wire bugs and the wall running allow you to uh, approach the terrain in a in a dramatically different way walls aren't walls anymore so long as it's in the middle of the map you can yeah, run yeah, yeah. up basically any surface. And it, it's very much, to me, Breath of the Wild vibes of, hey, look at that mountain. You're going to climb it? Just climb it. Do it. Just yeah. run up the mountain. Yeah. Um, and that's super that, cool. It opens up, like, exploration, yeah. but it also opens up, like, just your combat abilities. Like, once you're getting better at, like, getting knocked from a monster, but there's a wall nearby, so you wire bug to it, run up it, jump off it, smash its head. Yeah. Like, it just makes everything feel badass. Mm-hmm. And even, like, once you're good at it, which I'm not super good at this game yet, but I can see, like, a battle even in its failures still being a really awesome... Like, it's, it's just an awesome action movie, tense. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, mm. I will say that the... The one thing that's really sold me on this game is it has so much personality. Yep. Like, to me, World just did not have the personality that I wanted yep. or was expecting, mm. and I did not care about anything except the cat chef. Mm-hmm. Um, the chef. Where this game... Yeah, this game, the characters are really fun and friendly and bubbly, and the town feels really alive mm. and not just a mess of platforms with some ships and mm. 6,000 places to go. Like, it makes sense in a spatial... Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 sort of uh, sense, they, you know. They um, um not just not just like spatial awareness, but like things are placed in places that are make it easy for you to use them. Yes, which was yes. a struggle for. Now, here's my counterpoint to that. I love mm-hmm. World. I wouldn't have put 500 hours into it if I didn't love like even the worst yeah. parts of it. But I can acknowledge that, uh, especially once you see. Crap, what are the names of the places now? So the main base camp in, in base game world is, I believe, Estera. Estera's design is aesthetics first, unfortunately. So it does suffer from why is the forge over there? Why is the canteen over here? Why do I have to go here to talk with this person? And then the Iceborne um, location, which is the one I've... Celiana is so much better designed that, and still has good aesthetics. So, like, Celiana has a much better flow for if I want to hit the forge and then the canteen and then the, like, um, the research commission. Um, it's all in this, like, sensible space. And so I feel like what has been happening here is, like, a lot of, like, learning from mistakes. Because these aren't the same teams. The The world team is not the team behind Rise. But I, I'm assuming that a lot of these design lessons carry through. So, um... Kamora, the the hub town in Rise, is just really tightly designed. Things are just near each other. 
when when you need to do things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um yeah, for me it's just like I'm not playing Monster Hunter for that story, yeah. but just having a place that I really like to be mm. just makes it even better, yeah. you know what I mean? Also, um, uh Mm-hmm. You can now do all of your movement wirebug stuff in town. Yes, which is super cool. Which m- I, uh, I've definitely climbed to the roofs yeah. of a couple of those. Buildings. But it also means that <laughs> things don't have to be like claustrophobically close while still being fast to get to. You can just wirebug across a short yeah. distance now. Yeah. So it's very smart design. I, I'm, I'm super impressed by the online. So we've been yeah. playing like uh, Japan to Malaysia, and I've played with a few people from Australia. I mean, you've been playing uh, to um ginger in uh europe yes right? <laughs> yes and i've only had one issue where i got disconnected but in terms of you know fluidity and like frame matching and all that sort of yeah. stuff it all seems to be like really solid it, it does, which is yeah. impressive there, there was like a couple instances where a monster effectively disappeared for us but like i think mm-hmm. what actually happened is that they just jumped in the air and flew away it we just weren't looking properly yeah right but yeah yeah like totally no issues whatsoever which is crazy the internet's a cool and scary and scary place yeah yeah and especially launch week like games like this always have issues during launch yeah. week so I, I think it helps um, that uh they don't have to route too much information through a server i think a lot of it is still peer-to-peer which which yeah. reduces the load on you know um the company mm. but uh special um, shout outs this game is on the re engine yeah right? holy hell this game loads fast for an re engine game I didn't think it was possible yeah. to optimize to this state. And it's on the on the Switch? I was about to say, not even just an RE Engine game, a Switch game, right? Ah. Like it's pretty snappy and it looks fantastic. Yeah. Not 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 too many compromises for the look. There are compromises for the looks, right? If you look at endemic life, um, so like the just the standard um, you know, like flying birds, especially in the distance, um, you can see that they have level of detail, um what what am I calling it? Uh, quality reduction like they have less frames of animation they're like chunkier looking um but like what do you expect right like it's the switch so yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- uh, hats off to the optimization team and capcom capcom is not a company known for optimization so they yeah definitely <laughs> like, so hats off uh well done uh good luck with the pc port because another thing capcom is not known for is it's porting yeah definitely um It'll be interesting to see. Like, I'm, I'm very happy with it on the Switch. I don't really see a, a reason for me to get it on PC. I probably won't. I won't either. Um, um, but, you know, it'll look nice. Yeah. It, it already looks nice. So I can only imagine how good it's going to mm. look on PC. Especially if they do that thing again. I don't know if you were there for it, but they released official texture packs that bloated Monster Hunter up to, like, 100 gigs. Yeah, that, and to be honest, it didn't look that much It did not. It did not. It wasn't worth the... Um, <laughs> size to me it wasn't worth the size uh thing it, there were a yeah. lot of very important option um options that were made available in that patch for world but like the texture packs itself were not stellar yeah. um, um but yeah so i think i mean i'm enjoying it you're enjoying it i'm sure we're gonna play a lot more of it yeah um i don't know what else there is to say about it like check it out if yeah. you haven't already and it sounds interesting to you this is oh yeah what it what there is to say about it it's pretty accessible yeah it's definitely um, a good place to jump mm-hmm. into the series if you've never played it. I think. Mm-hmm. Like this and World. Uh, I'm not sure if the demo is still available. I have no um, idea either. But yeah. if it is, you should definitely check it out. Uh, before the release, your progress from the demo, you got some bonuses. They probably have nixed that, mm. but but you can still. Um, I I yeah. I I would recommend that if you own a Switch, like, and you want something that's got a lot of meat on that bone especially in a year where a lot of these bigger games probably aren't going to hit their dates, mm. I definitely would consider 
Mosana Rock. And uh, it's a multiplayer game, and we're probably not going to be short of multiplayers. It it topped Nintendo's Switch top uh, bestseller lists, beating out Nintendo IPs uh, for this week at least. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's going to stay around. Don't get me wrong. I don't think there's going to be 4 million pl- people playing it for a long time. Uh, Monster Hunter yeah, is yeah. still a niche title. I'm surprised, honestly, when Monster Hunter um, sells this well. Uh, and I, my main um, theory is that a lot of people are going to bounce off it. it. Up to potentially 90% of the people are going to bounce off it. And that still leaves a lot of people playing The, the interesting thing, though, is that it proves its worth. It proves its worth as a franchise. Mm globally mm. like this is the second time that it's caught yeah. on like the first one maybe was a fluke at the time but now it's not it has cemented itself as a series people now know yes. and people are willing to put money people down know on. especially right that's the that's the like when it becomes a household name and i don't think most is a household name yet but when it becomes a name that you can say and people go oh, yeah i've heard of or seen it that's a super important like break point um it's worth noting here that if you got into monster hunter from world the classic hunt formula is very different. Yeah. So, World was a spin-off. Like, they, Capcom made it very clear at the time, World is a spin-off Monster Hunter game. And you can, like, when you look at a game like Rise, um, you should be able to tell. I don't. I won't say you can tell, because the core gameplay, a lot of it's still the same. But you should be able to tell from where its values are, what it seeks, what it's out to do with the game. I genuinely hope that they continue this trend of, we, like, we have three series running right we have the monster hunter series that is like monster hunter rise generations all that sort of stuff we have the monster hunter world series which will be world world 2 wherever that goes mm-hmm. and then monster hunter stories is this other thing on the side. <laughs> monster um, hunter but i i yeah. yeah i hope that they keep those games separate and they keep pushing them in different directions mm. um because i much prefer this over world mm. And always mm-hmm. will. And if it gets to the point where, like, that was my big concern, that World was such a mega hit that I was going to lose this flavor. And now that I have a good mix of both of them, like, the best parts of both, yeah. like, it's perfect for me. I absolutely yeah. love it. Super, super into it. Uh, talk to me about Persona 5 Strikers. It says here that you've finished it. I have capped off my time in Persona 5 Strikers, probably. There's a couple of things I can still do, but I have capped off my time for now. Uh, just over 55 hours in Persona 5 Strikers. Nice. Uh, I made an effort to just get this out of the way before Rise dropped because I don't want to switch between those two games. Um, and and how was it? What what are your feelings now that you're at the end of that journey? It's really good. It's it's a very solid and proud entry in the Persona series. Um, there are some people who have said they really like this more active feeling Persona game, right? Like we talked about this before. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. by the end, I'm like, no, no, this is a very solid Persona game. Um, if you want that, there are the games where you, uh, there's this game, obviously, and then there's other games where you don't bring that into, I don't want to see Muso becoming the standard in Persona is what I'm saying. Um, so yeah. I think that story beat wise, um, it's pretty predictable. Um, I had some character predictions based off of the opening video. Like, you know, when you load the game, you get this, like. When you start the game for the first time, you get a like video that plays for, that's just effectively an anime opening uh, song. Yeah, uh, I had yeah, some yeah. predictions from that which were all correct. Just a nice, bit nice. unfortunate. I would have liked some curveballs to be thrown at me. Um, having said that, the pay- there's an amazing payoff in the second to last dungeon, and I won't spoil any of that, which I think is like perfect reason 
to like for me that was it that i saw that cutscene and i'm like yeah i'm done i'm sold <laughs> this is it I, i'm happy now um you um you, you say that you wish there were more surprises but do you think that because it's such a big departure they probably wanted to play it safe is that potentially it or do you think there's just no, no it's not no, the no. official team. no 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 none of that i mean uh writing is done by atlas i'm pretty sure whether or not it's the main writers or not um mm-hmm. persona is starting to formularize ever since four yeah, is, right. is more of the thing like um i'm a dumb dumb head and uh potential persona 5 base game spoilers here i didn't see um one of the characters turns coming um <laughs> uh, akechi I, i'm just gonna go ahead and say it i didn't see that turn coming and if you know that means good if you don't know that means don't worry that means that it, all all i'm saying is that there was a character turn at some point and i didn't see it coming uh but in hindsight i should have and in in hindsight it makes a lot of sense with the formula that they've kind of been developing um but maybe it is that they played their hand a bit too early in the opening video. That might be it as well. Not sure. So this is not the... F- I mentioned this before as well. This is not my first Persona um, spin-off game that I've played. I played Persona Q. Uh, mm-hmm. Persona Q had an amazing twist at the end. So that's where my standards are. That's, that's all. Right, gotcha, that's all. Gotcha. So, you know, again, a Persona spin-off with writers from the name... Um, and they got to do some really cool stuff, bridging the Persona 4 team with the Persona 3 team um, in a in a very canonical way. Like, like you, it is very fine to say that it's canon, uh, Persona Q, despite the fact that Persona 4 and Persona 3 are separated. Like, the costs of those games are separated by about almost a decade, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they still found a way to make them, like, connect. So... That's pretty yeah, cool. I, I was, it was really cool. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And it, it's very much this like abstract, like, oh, you, you say it connects kind of way. But like Persona is fairly cerebral in some aspects of its storytelling. And so that was enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Strikers is very on the box. Uh, I love, if you like Persona 5 and you want to you wanna reason to play this, the question to ask yourself is, do I miss the dorks in the phantom thieves because they are dorks and it's really fun to watch them interact with each other and that's what i loved most about this it was 55 hours of this team of like idiots like they're they're idiots all of them are idiots (laughs) but you know i say that with so much love in my heart for them because they are so lovable uh if you miss them play this game if you can stomach the the combat that is because that's what this is to me it's an opportunity to go on a road trip with uh yeah with the phantom thieves and gosh darn it it's that's a good thing on my list it looks super cool mm. i and i can't i i started persona 5 when i had a playstation yeah. i i can't play it now although there are rumors floating around mm. heard some hefty rumors uh i don't know how true they are but i've seen it quite a few places now that after the success of the yakuza series on game pass mm. that sega is very much what other niche Japanese series can we throw at Microsoft, please? Yep, yep. And Microsoft are definitely coming to the table. So there has been quite a number of rumors going around that Persona is that. Uh, but I guess we'll see. But see. until I can play Persona 5, this is a way I can I can uh, experience you know, the world and um, aesthetic. Experience that world because I love the aesthetic and what I saw of those characters. Yeah. I really, really love that game. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and so, yeah, I already spoke about this at length last time. Uh, so I guess moving on, I've played a bit more Ring Fit Adventure. Not as often, 
especially with Rise coming out, mm-hmm. um, I find myself wanting to sit down with Rise more than be a good and productive human being. But I'm still yep. going through it slowly. Um, I played a stint of Darkest Dungeon for Platforms and Pitfalls research since we last spoke on this podcast. And how do you feel about this game? Because I have very complex feelings about this game. Uh, the end result of it is I don't like it. Um, I won't play it in my free time. The nitty gritty <laughs> of it is that it's a really well done game. It's well thought out. So, it's well paced. It's well mechanic. So for those who don't know, Darkest Dungeon came out, I want to say 2016. 16, 16 is the, the year I would give you as well. Yeah. And it's like a, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a side-scrolling- Dungeon crawling. Dungeon crawling, turn-based- Team management, talent RPG, management. RPG, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where you have to like manage the the attacks, the buffs, the, the positioning of your party as you go through a dungeon. Yeah. And the the cool mechanic of it was that um, like there's like a light and it's burning out and the darker it gets, the harder the enemies and weirder the enemies become, mm-hmm. but the more loot that you can also get um, and your characters suffer like- Stress. They can have heart attacks. Yeah. They or have a they stress meter. Fall under- That is the like main- yeah. Your main, um, like, you would think that you're managing characters' HP, uh, but your main resource management for your team is their stress. It is deathly yeah. to them to get too much stress. Yeah, they literally will, can potentially have heart attacks yeah. and, like, either die immediately or go down to one health. Yeah. Um, and then you get blights from too much stress or, you know, if you come out okay, perhaps they get a boon. Um, and that character stays with that as you manage mm-hmm. them and de-stress them back at your home base that you also do a lot of upgrading. It, it's a meat um, grinder of a game, as in you are going to go through teams, don't form attachments to any character. It's meant to chew up and spit out adventurers. And that's the that's the feeling it's going for. It's that this game is trying to show you what it would be like to have this town that's attracting adventurers to go and you know dig through its ruins and its ruins are deadly. Like what yeah. is that? And like? it's like um it's like uh it's got a lot of uh Lovecraft vibes, yeah. but it's not fully Cthulhuized. Like no. there's just some other yeah. general like dark fantasy stuff, but it's got this really dark, thick outline look. Yeah. There's a sequel coming out mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. year that I'm pretty keen to check out. I love this game concept and i always love it when i start it and then i lose like so many people and i just get down to no <laughs> money and i can't afford resources and i always crack the shits and stop playing it there's been a lot actually sit- said and written about darkest dungeon across the years uh, while it is niche it has garnered a lot of attention for its design and mechanics and one of the things that people mm. have walked away from which is super interesting is uh w- let me rephrase that one of the things that people have said about this game um as they walk away from it is that the optimum way to play it paints you as a horrible person because the best way to play this game is to meat grinder your team. It is, yeah. in fact, to not invest in any character too heavily and run characters down into the dust and don't fix them. Just leave them to die and then just get a new 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 character because it's more money efficient that way. Yeah. Which is in line with the th- the themes and like aesthetic of the game. Like you are supposed to be this manager of this town sending people to explore these dangerous ruins of your familial home and these adventurers are supposed to be disposable. Which so, which goes against what most people as gamers want to do which is win and optimize. Yeah, and min-max, right? So, yeah. Really, really cool feeling game. Um, honestly, like 
I'm down with all of that. I said I don't like it. The reason I don't like it is because of its pacing. Um, like animations take just a bit too long for me. Um, mm-hmm. Dungeons are just a bit too long, even the short ones, right? So yeah, I would agree. I, would I agree. need if I wanted to play this, I would need to um, get over that. And that's very much just a mental switch of like get over it, you know, um, which I can do. But I, I got my research done with it and i just decided i have other things like monster Hunter rise to play so i'm okay now yeah yeah and very and you're still on your car yeah, yeah yeah very very quickly because this has gone on for way too long now very quickly just wrapping up hearthstone's latest expansion fortune the barons expansion uh recently dropped uh i've played a couple of battlegrounds games since then and um yeah i, I think the constructed stuff looks cool I, i'm keeping a side eye on that though i haven't played constructed in a very very long time uh, and in the magic sense, um, we are entering teaser territory for Strixhaven, the next set release for magic, which will be uh, physical April 27th and digital April 15th. From memory, none of that is me looking at a date here. That's all just in my brain. Um, Strixhaven is um, magic U, magic colleges. Um, it, it's the most prestigious uh, sorcery, like magical uh, university in the Magic the Gathering universe. There's too many magic in different contexts in that sentence. And uh, <laughs> we're gonna meet crazy, um, like, there's an archaeology school, there's a neuro, uh, numeromancy school, and I haven't caught up with any of the teasers yet, but it's looking to be a um, interesting foray into, I don't know, do you ever want to go back to the university but be like Hogwarts University? Uh, this will be a bit more like hardcore than that <laughs> if you're interested in that. Yeah. That's what Magic is yeah. offering up next. And that's it. I have heard a lot of people say that it feels like they were making a Harry Potter themed crossover and then uh, decided to go another way. I don't know if there's any truth. Uh, I don't think so. Harry Potter is very um, antithetical to the to any um, established um, magical fantasy setting because Harry Potter uh, mm-hmm. magic has no consequence. It's very hard to build into a resource-based game. Yeah, so that's a fact. I don't think so. I can imagine that early on there would have been discussions at the table for how can we make this work, and then you hit design and design. If you ha- if this had gone ahead, because these deals don't get made when consulting design, right? The design team would have just had yeah. to like bend over work backwards <laughs> to work it out, and it would have been a nightmare because. Harry Potter's just not well designed. It's just not like personal feelings aside. Plus, there's yeah other yeah political issues yeah. there. But anyway, that sounds like a lot of yeah. fun. It does. It does. Uh, so that's uh, all from me from this week. <laughs> it's a lot this week. I am keen to check out that Magic uh, AR ARGPG. Magic Legends. Oh yeah, Magic Legends yeah. Uh, went into open beta since we last spoke on the podcast as well, right? Uh, yeah, I've downloaded it. I haven't touched it yet. Its optimization is uh, garbaggio is uh, the oh, technical term that I would use for that. Um, and amidst all of the concerns that people have for its uh, payment model, or for its monetization model, because it is a free-to-play game, uh, mm. I decided to kind of not worry about that one for now. I, I checked it out, yeah. saw that my computer is struggling to run it, and then just went, well, if it's struggling to run and all of these concerns are up in the air about it, I'm going to wait to see what happens with it, and I'll be paying attention to it from the sidelines, not experiencing it yeah. firsthand. Um, that's a fair call yeah. however magic legend uh, let's very quickly go over it magic legends is a super <laughs> mmo light uh diablo like action rpg but with the theme of magic the gathering where you will meet some notable magic the gathering faces and names such as raul zarek nissa ravan 
um, and stuff like that. So if that's of interest to you, check it out. It is uh, published and run by Perfect World Entertainment, which is where some of the flags come from in terms of their monetization mm-hmm. model. And I don't remember who the developer is. Uh, Cryptic, Cryptic Studios. Yeah. There you, yeah. Go. There you go. Very quickly. Long one, Blue. That's a long yeah. one. That's what happens when you skip a week and then news doesn't stop. Like, how disrespectful for the world to keep I know, going right? when they know full well that we didn't have time to report on things. Exactly. It's just rude. At least we know now, though, for the next six months, the only games we're playing are Monster Hunter. Yeah, that, that's so. easy, right? Maybe we should just read. That'll, that'll shorten it. We'll, we'll spin <laughs> this podcast into, like, just, we, we'll skip the news, I think. Just talk about Monster Hunter Rise. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just tell stories from the, the hunting <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, that's a podcast. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Make sure you go to pixelsforbreakfast.net to check out all the amazing content. We actually had a couple of big pieces go live this week. We had from the uh, aforementioned Rowan. Uh, he put a piece up about the job system in Wild Arms Crossfire, which is really Weird. an interesting read yeah. and made me want to check that Quite game bizarre. out. Um, and we also just this morning before recording this podcast had the latest virtual photography article series wish you were here from drew taylor go live he did a photo set from uh, haven which is a game that does not have a photo mode and somehow he managed to capture art i'm completely blown away by what he's got there and also uh for those who do support us on patreon uh you will get to uh exclusive images that you can print off and put on your wall if you wish really pretty uh, which yeah, speaking of, head over to patreon.com forward slash pixels of breakfast, throw us a couple of bucks so I can uh, start paying people like Blue and Rowan and, and Valen and maybe even buy myself a game to cover or something. Uh, support is always super appreciated and you get a couple of perks, including this uh, episode a little early. And that about does it. Blue, anything you want to add? There's a hard world out there. Go and kill some monsters. Absolutely. And as always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast.